calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Book Burners, Episode 29. 1. Asante rejoined the rest of the team that night. They met her at a deserted bus stop outside Rome, really nothing more than a patch of dirt on the side of the unlit country road, marked by a wooden post that might have once held a sign, but now relied on regional memory to carry its message. Grace had taken over at the wheel, driving a circuitous route to be sure that none of Balloon and Stretch's people were following them, while Manchu gradually guided them toward their destination. Asante squeezed into the back with Sal and Liam, and Sal could feel her relief to see them all alive and whole. Sal wished she could share the feeling. Are you followed? Manchu asked from the front seat. Asante shook her head. No sign of anyone, and on a road this empty, I would have noticed. After what happened at the monastery, Balloon and Stretch will be licking their wounds for a bit, said Liam. Not for long, said Manchu. He turned to Grace. We should get moving. Grace nodded, already putting the car in gear. What happened at the monastery, asked Asante. Long, painful story, said Sal. What happened in Rome, asked Manchu. Asante sighed. I went back to Cardinal Verano, who remains as dedicated as ever to saving himself paperwork. However, I think I was able to convince him that Balloon and Stretch are going to end up causing him even more paperwork than Sal's possession. Unfortunately, he won't make a move to help us until we have our own house in order. Which means getting rid of the monster in my head, said Sal. She was recovering faster from their ordeal than the hand was, but she could feel it gathering its strength, waiting until it was ready to make its move. Yes, said Asante, but if we can do that, Sal's testimony should convince Barano to shut down Balloon and Stretch once and for all. That's a big if, said Liam. About that, said Asante. We need tools to force the hand back to his home dimension. I tried to go back to the archives after my meeting with the cardinal to retrieve the book of the hand, but our entire wing is under lockdown. The new guards were keeping me out of the archives, me. I don't know who they report to, Arturo, but it wasn't anyone friendly to us. 
I was looking for Sansoni when I got your not safe, leave now message. Three buses later, well, here we are. The group fell into silence, broken only by the thrum and rattle of the tires against the poorly maintained rural road. Sal looked out the window, but all she could see was black land spread beneath endless blue-black sky. The car's headlights sliced the road ahead of them, a tiny bubble that seemed wholly inadequate to keep the pressing dark at bay. Their destination proved to be a beautiful stone villa situated on five rural acres outside of Rome. The building was more than 300 years old, set back from the main road behind a low wall more decorative than functional. Behind the main house, a fig tree shaded a flagstone patio and grapes grew over a wooden pergola. Beyond, a small guest house stood between an ancient olive grove and a lake. The guest house had been originally built as a pump house, then expanded to store olive oil. Now, the only signs of its former purposes were wooden casks repurposed as end tables and the old well cover located under a throw rug in the center of the larger bedroom. Asante, Grace, Liam, and Sal waited as Manchu rolled aside the rug and lifted the heavy well cover, revealing the inky blackness of the stone shaft below. Sal swallowed and asked, what's down there? Somewhere we can rest. In the last 24 hours, Sal had suffered an exorcism, died, then come back to life after a harrowing trip through a demon dimension. The prospect of stopping in safety, even for a little while, was too much to refuse. Once the well cover was back in place, the blackness inside the shaft was complete. Asante, clinging to the ladder between Grace below and Sal above, felt a bit of mortar crumble away from the wall and silently counted until she heard a quiet splash. It was a very long way down. Manchu snapped a chem light and passed it down the line to Grace. Do you remember how to open the passage? He asked. Yes, said Grace. Are you sure? It was 20 years ago. Less for me, said Grace. The yellow-green light clipped to her belt descended and Asante hurried to keep up. It wasn't far to climb, really. After 10 feet or so that only felt like they stretched for miles, Grace stopped again. A press and turn of a loose stone and a hidden door swung inward to reveal a gently sloping stone-lined passage, just wide and tall enough for them to walk single file without stooping. Once they were all inside, Manchu took the light and the lead. After another few hundred feet of twists and turns, the passage joined a cave system that opened into a natural cavern stretching far beyond the reach of their meager light source. After some fumbling, Manchu located an oil lamp, and the sickly green of the chemical illumination was eclipsed by a warm, golden glow. Tao caught her breath. The cave was huge. The ceiling stretched easily 20 feet above their heads, and the far walls were hidden in shadow. What she could see of the space was lined with rows of shelves filled with bedding, emergency supplies, and books. It's the archives, she said. No said Asante. One word held all the sadness of an exile longing for her lost homeland. It's a bolt hole, said Menchu. This cave system was discovered during World War II by the Italian resistance. They told a few priests, friendly to their cause, but for uh, various reasons, its existence was never officially shared with the Vatican. Asante made a noise which implied she had clear opinions about what those reasons were. It felt appropriate, Manchu continued. And since I found out about it through another priest, not a society, there's no reason to think that Tintu knows about it. 
We should be able to rest here for a little while. As long as we're sure the other teams don't know, said Asante. I mean, someone told you all those years ago, and if Balloon and Stretch, if they do, Liam said, we'll deal with them. But we had to go somewhere, didn't we? Asante made a tired, waving gesture to erase her previous statement. You're right, of course, I'm just, you're exhausted, said Grace. You all are. Grace hadn't included herself in that assessment, but even she seemed worn thin by their last few hours. Manchu looked over his group. We'll be safe here, I promise. Whether because of habit, faith, or desperation, they all believed him. Manchu set himself the first watch. The others slept, except for Grace, who, when she realized she couldn't convince Manchu to rest, wandered into the back stacks of their hideout's collection, looking for something to read. He knew that he should listen to her. They couldn't afford to stop for long, and he should rest while he had the chance. Manchu pondered his team. They quivered on the edge of fracture. Any jolt could shatter their newly healed alliance. He knew his aura of certainty helped glue them together, but he was running on momentum and adrenaline. If he stopped moving forward, moving anywhere, he wasn't sure he'd be able to start again. Gradually, the others began to wake, internal clocks telling them that the sun had risen, even without any visual cues inside the cave. As soon as Liam was up, he pulled out his laptop. Hey, can you get a signal down here? Menchu asked. Liam shrugged. I've got a repeater set up. We're fine. Grace emerged from the stacks. Will they be able to trace us if we go digging into the society system? Liam gave her a hard look. I'm not gonna log in and check my email, he said. If I go through a VPN, we can see what's showing up on the public news sources without anyone figuring out who or where we are. The last week has been loud enough that the society will have had to put out some kind of cover story to explain what's been going on. Oh, said Grace. Then, I didn't mean to imply you. I know, said Liam, cutting short her impending apology. After that, the room fell silent, save for the tap of Liam's fingers on his keyboard. Maybe an hour later, Sal woke with a start and joined them, followed by Asante. Find anything? Sal asked. She rubbed at the fatigue etched into her face, but only succeeded in moving it around a little. Liam grimaced. Not much. The Vatican put out a press release that there was a threat against the Pope, and the palace has been closed to tourists. Other than that, it's all pretty usual. That will be Sansoni, said Grace. Wait, said Menchu. Click on that story there, down at the bottom. It was a small item, easily overlooked next to a cluster of buttons and site navigation links. When Liam pulled it up, Menchu felt his gut go cold. Sal squinted. Is that Latin? Yes, said Asante. Manchu couldn't even bring himself to nod. What does it say? When Manchu didn't answer, Asante leaned in closer to read the screen. It was a short missive, only a few hundred words, and it didn't take Asante long to decipher the message. Oh, Arturo, I'm so sorry. What is it? asked Sal. Liam looked equally confused. Tell them, said Manchu to Asante, then turned and walked away. He didn't want to be the one who broke the news. If he said the words, it would only make them real. It was bad enough hearing them in Asante's soft alto. It's an announcement that the Vatican has begun the process of having Father Manchu defrocked. Manchu closed his ears to the other's sympathy and disbelief. He couldn't cope with them right now. He had reached his limit. And so Arturo Manchu stopped.
two. Sal's watch told her she'd been in that dark cavern less than a day. It felt like weeks. She was exhausted, but when she tried to sleep, she could feel the hand gathering strength, pushing to get out. When she actually slept, she dreamed agonizing dreams of the exorcism, of her skin on fire, of Perry trapped in a demon fortress, a demon fortress in a demon dimension. Her brother's spirit was trapped in a hellish prison, tethered to this world by his own body, which Sal had helped to keep alive in a secret Vatican clinic. How much had she forced him to suffer, hoping he would return to her? What have I left him to now? She could see Perry suffering, not bound by a demon to some cruel parody of the afterlife, but at the hands of Team Two's less gentle ministers. Balloon and Stretch whispering, if we can't have you, we'll take him instead. Sal sat up with a jolt. She must have fallen asleep. She hoped she had fallen asleep. Still, the dream shook her. If Balloon and Stretch realized that her brother was a helpless hostage in the Vatican, they would try to find a way to use him as leverage against her. Would they code their threats into a Vatican press release like the news about Manchu to draw them out of hiding? In her heart, Sal knew she wouldn't be able to stop herself from taking that bait. The voice in the back of her head whispered, He's your little brother. Keep him safe. Except Sal didn't know how to save her brother without falling into Balloon and Stretch's hands, and she couldn't help Perry if she was dead. Worse than that, Sal wasn't even sure she could trust her own thoughts, not with the hand inside her still whispering. Sal was sure of one thing, though. If she didn't get out of this cave and clear her head, she was gonna go fucking mental. Sal looked up at the cloud-covered sky. They were near enough to roam that she could still see the glow of the city on the horizon, but far enough that, she suspected, on a clearer night, she would have been able to see the stars. She picked her way through the shadows of the olive grove, pausing at every unexpected noise. In retrospect, maybe sneaking out into the dark hadn't been the best plan to settle her nerves, but at least out here she wouldn't fall asleep. A twig snapped, and Sal froze. She couldn't see anyone, but that only made the silence more unnerving. Just because they're out to get you doesn't mean you can't be paranoid. Sal had just about convinced herself she was hearing things when a dark figure detached itself from the shadow of a bent tree trunk. Sal held her breath. It was coming toward her. Too late to avoid a confrontation now. Whoever this was, they couldn't know where the others were, or else they would have been waiting for her to emerge from the guesthouse. That simplified Sal's priorities. Keep her pursuer from finding the others, outrun them if she could. If not, well, she'd already died once in the last 48 hours. Maybe this time it would be a quicker and more permanent process. Sal waited until the figure slipped into another shadow, then took off running away from the guest house as fast as she could. The whip wounds in her side tugged and burned. Thank you ever so much, Team Two. Sal stuck to the trees at first, figuring that the cover was to her advantage, except that it also meant that she had no way of telling if she had managed to shake the mysterious figure. She needed a plan beyond run. Okay, then. She'd just have to take her pursuer out of the equation. That decision made, Sal looked for her best opportunity. There. Three steps. Two. One. Sal left to catch an overhanging branch, hoping to pull herself into position for an ambush from above. A hand snagged her ankle. When had she lost her lead? Her pursuer's grip was monstrously strong. Sal kicked for all she was worth, but she couldn't shake free. A voice below hissed, Sal, stop it. She kicked harder. There was a sharp yank on her foot, and Sal was falling. 
An instant later, stunned and winded on the ground, Sal felt a weight settle on her back. The voice returned, whispering, I'm not going to hurt you. She tried to roll, but was completely pinned. She took a breath to scream when a cold weight settled behind her right ear. Gun, fuck. Too much to ask that the bad guys would be as respectful of local firearms laws as she was. Sal went still. I only want to talk. If I let you up, are you going to try to run again? The voice was calmer now, and while still soft, the speaker was no longer whispering. In fact, the voice was familiar. It was Aaron? Indeed. Sal rolled onto her back, and this time Aaron didn't stop her. He even stood up so that she could climb to her feet. The gun, if there had ever been one, was no longer visible. Sal really, really hated magic. What are you doing here? Sal asked. Did the hand summon you to Rome too? I hate to break it to you, but the demon reunion has been canceled. I didn't come for the hand, said Aaron. I came to see you. Why? I can help you. The Vatican has been locked down. You won't be able to get past security. Thanks for the vote of confidence. Without my help, Aaron finished. What makes you so sure we're going back to the archives? Aaron didn't even blink. Because you have to. He was right, of course. The book of the hand was their only chance to pry the demon out of the corners of her mind. And she had to help Perry. Manchu had warned Sal, demons offer you what you want, but they will always ask for more than you can pay. Sal wanted, she wanted more than anything. She licked suddenly dry lips. What's the price? Before Aaron could answer, a gray-shaped shadow fell from the trees and knocked him cold. Sal looked at Grace in utter shock. Were you following me? Grace rose to her feet. Be glad I was. Next time you decide to do something moronic, like take a walk while you're supposed to be in hiding, I might not be around to save you from your own stupidity. Sal frowned. Why didn't you knock him out earlier? I thought you needed the exercise. Grace was trying for her usual deadpan, but Sal heard the tension there. She held back a shiver. If Grace is worried enough to let it show, we are well and truly screwed. Sal towed Aaron's inert form. What do we do with him now? She suspected her own attempt at nonchalance was just as transparent. Grace bent down and heaved Aaron onto one shoulder. And don't suppose you have brought any rope. Asante had noticed when Grace snuck out and expected her to return presently with a penitent Sal in tow. The unconscious man slung between them was rather a surprise, however. The man, Aaron, seemed less startled than one might expect to wake tied to a chair in the middle of a dimly lit cave. He blinked, taking in their faces and his surroundings in the dim light. Asante held out a cup of water, and he nodded. After a few careful sips, only wincing a little, he said, well, this saves me convincing Sal to introduce me to the rest of you. What are you doing here? Asked Asante. At the moment? He gestured as well as he could with his hands bound behind him. Grace had tied him, so there wasn't much slack in the ropes, but he still managed to convey a fatigued sense of, what does it look like I'm doing? Asante glanced back to Manchu, looking for where to go next. They rarely needed to interrogate people so explicitly, but this was the sort of field activity where Manchu, by rights, should be in the lead. Unfortunately, he didn't seem eager to get up and do his damn job. Asante was sure Aaron had noticed the shift in her attention. Well, at least someone is learning something from this exercise, she thought. 
If Manchu was out for this round, they were left with the archivist, the hacker, the hitter, or the cop to take point. Asante nodded to Sal. Go ahead. Let's start with simple questions. How did you find us? Sal asked. Aaron's lips twisted into a smile. I've always been able to track you, he said, thanks to your little passenger. Do you really think we first met by coincidence? You were following the hand. Yes. Why? That was the mission I was given. By who? Whom? Asante had never seen Sal want to slap someone so badly. Training held her back. Grace had no such compunctions. The room felt her hand crack against Aaron's face. Answer the question, Grace said. Aaron didn't flinch from the slap or the tone. He stared Grace down until unbelievably, she was the one who blinked and withdrew. Only then did Aaron turn back to Sal. Ask a question that matters and I'll answer it. Don't waste my time or yours on irrelevant details. I'd call your mission and your motivation very relevant, Sal returned. Aaron sighed. I am not attempting to track the hand out of a desire to join a thrall army and release a flood of magic to destroy life on Earth as it is currently known. You want the demon safely contained, as do I. Since my objectives and yours align, I sought you out to propose a collaboration. Are you saying you can remove this thing from my head? Asked Sal. Not without the book, he said. If I could do that on my own, I would have done it when we first met months ago. You knew this thing was in my head all along? Why didn't you tell me? I tried. You weren't eager to trust me, and if I'd said it plainly, the hand would have grown even more cautious, hidden itself so deep you would not have found it until it was too late. It's pretty damn late, Sal said. The bastard almost destroyed the world. I died yesterday. It would have been worse. How? You got better, didn't you? We can get it out of my head with the book, said Sal. What do we need you for? You need me if you want to get back into your archives without being arrested the moment you set foot in Vatican City. Also, he added, I suspect that the book isn't the only thing you'd like to retrieve once you're there. His gaze took in all of them, but finally settled on Manchu. Manchu looked up. He bore the weight of Aaron's regard steadily and without fear. What, Manchu asked, do you ask in return for this valuable assistance? Aaron's default expression read something close to smug, but he only looked tired as he replied, nothing you haven't lost already. Once it was clear that Aaron didn't plan to say anything more, Sal left him tied to his chair and busied herself taking inventory of their supplies. Aaron probably had other limiting factors in mind when he said they couldn't hide forever, but he wasn't wrong. Although the space was originally intended to shelter dozens, the old Italian MREs didn't have an infinite shelf life, and after spoilage, Sal estimated they had food and fresh water for a week, too, if they stretched it. On the bright side, she also found a box full of tiny airline whiskey bottles, which were almost certainly still good, if not exactly part of a complete and balanced breakfast. Not that she thought the society would wait to starve them out, but making lists and inventories helped keep Sal's mind off what might be happening to Perry. And the fact that there was a man tied to a chair not 50 feet away who offered at least a chance of saving him. Aaron had never lied to her, as far as she knew. But Manchu said there was no such thing as angels or benevolent demons or whatever Aaron might be. And she did trust Manchu. Maybe Aaron was waiting for the right moment, feeding her the truth until she let her guard down and was swallowed by a lie. 
Of course, as the tickle at the back of her mind reminded her, if she did nothing, she would soon be swallowed up by something else entirely. Grace sank into a crouch across the supplies from Sal. Are you going to try to make a deal with Aaron so that you can save your brother? Whatever Grace's talents were, they did not include telepathy, no matter how much it might seem like it sometimes. No, Manchu's right. We can't trust. Grace cut her off. You should do it. What? But only if you take me with you. Why? Beyond the fact that you can't go out for a walk in an olive grove at night without getting ambushed? Sal crossed her arms. Yeah. Grace frowned. Count the light sources in this room. What? Sources of light in this room. Get your head out of your own problems for two seconds. Look around and think about what you aren't seeing. Sal frowned, but obeyed. There's an oil lamp, uh, a glow stick, what looks like one of Liam's screens. She trailed off. Your candle isn't here. I didn't have a chance to take it when we ran. Sooner or later, our enemies will realize what they have, and when they do, she mind pinching out a flame. I have to get it back. I won't let them make me abandon the rest of you. So make the deal with Aaron and take me along. Sal pulled out two tiny whiskey bottles and cracked the caps. She offered one to Grace, and after a silent toast, the two women wordlessly downed the drinks. Sal relished the burning rush of alcohol and resolve. Time to move. Let's do this, then. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. You may not be on an elite team of investigators fighting the dangers of magic, but that doesn't mean you have to be defenseless when it comes to protecting your data online. Lucky for you, our partners at NordVPN know their way around the World Wide Web. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which creates a sort of encrypted tunnel while you're online, protecting your private data like bank details and passwords so you can browse safely wherever you are in the world. In addition to providing you with a high level of security online, my favorite use of NordVPN is to virtually switch my location so I can watch movies and shows that aren't currently available in my area. Plus, that way I can still access my favorite content when I'm traveling as well. I'm a fan of pretty much any British TV show, but they aren't always available in the US, so with NordVPN, I can virtually travel across the pond to enjoy my telly. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world, and you can get all that speed, protection, and virtual locations for the price of just a coffee a month. 
To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash bookburners. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Three. Of course, Asante caught on. No matter how quiet Sal and Grace were, which was pretty damn quiet, they were trying to conduct a whispered negotiation with a supernatural creature while the people they were trying to hide from slept nearby. Even if it was a rather large space, in the silence of the cave, voices carried. But still, when Asante hissed, what are you doing? Sal felt like a teenager caught sneaking out after curfew. Grace was less easily cowed. Getting back into the archives, Asante's lips narrowed. We don't need to make a deal. Sal cut her off. If you or Manchu had another plan, we would be on our way to Rome by now, not huddling in the dark. My brother's in there. My life is in there, said Grace. Manchu is the field leader, Asante said. Manchu has been stabbed in the back by the church he gave his life to, and now he's bleeding out before our eyes, Sal thought. What she said was, Manchu has a lot on his plate right now. Then that leaves me in charge, said Asante. We're a team, you can't. A soft light fell over the scene, and they all turned to see Manchu standing behind them, holding the oil lantern. He looked tired, but determined. We're a team, he said. We need to start acting like one. And that includes me. He cleared his throat. After all, if we can't stop the hand, my ecclesiastical career will be the least of our worries. He turned to Aaron, still tied to the chair, who had been observing this entire exchange with seemingly detached interest. What do you want? Menchu asked him. I told you, said Aaron. Nothing that you haven't. Menchu cut him off. I've dealt with your kind before. Pardon me if I insist on the details. Aaron looked sad again. The boy in the village wasn't me. I know he wasn't. His name was Jose, and he was nine years old when he slit his own throat. As for the thing inside him, I didn't ask if that was you, and I don't care. If you don't want to set your own terms, this is the deal I offer. You want to help us reach the archives for purposes of your own. I will allow it on the condition that in your mission and your aid to us, you will not cause any living creature harm or allow them to be harmed by your inaction. Sal thought she saw Grace hide a smile at that. Why? She had no idea. Aaron considered the proposal. That's not a small thing to ask. If you don't like it, you're welcome to refuse, said Menchu. You can wait here, take your chances, see whether we can contain the hand or if the society tracks us down first. Whatever happens will certainly be interesting. Well, when you put it that way. Menchu held up a hand. There's one more thing, he said. One more thing? If you make this deal and then betray either the letter or the spirit of our agreement, I will end you, even if that task takes all eternity. Sal blinked. Manchu didn't move. What is your decision? Aaron nodded. I will abide by your terms. Excellent, said Manchu. Now that we're all going to hell, let's get this over with. Someone wake Liam. In spite of everything, Sal couldn't help smiling. She'd already been to hell once this week. Finally, she was on familiar ground. The team arrived in Rome in their borrowed vehicle and parked in an alley near the Vatican just as dawn washed the city in rosy light. Liam, not exactly happy about the deal with Aaron, but accepting its necessity, quickly got down to the heart of the matter. Okay, whatever you are, what's the plan? 
We move, and quickly, said Aaron. The new guards are in place around the clock, but the fewer other employees we encounter, the better for our chances of secrecy. Manchu accepted this with a small of course gesture. Our first priority is to get the book of the hand. I'm sorry, Sal, but if the hand unleashes a flood of demons into the world, Perry will be screwed anyway. Understood. Manchu continued. Aaron says he can get us into the archives undetected. Once there, Santi and I will secure the book. While I find more evidence to convince the Cardinal that Balloon and Stretch have gone off the reservation, said Liam. They can't have hidden their work entirely. A pull of Team 2's internal databases should have everything I need. And I assist Sal in seeing to her brother's safety, said Aaron. Manchu blinked. I see you've all given this some thought. He turned to Asante. Anything to add? She shook her head. The plan makes sense to me. Me too, said Sal. And while you are doing all that, said Grace, I'll get my candle. Manchu shook his head. I don't want us to split up more than we have to. Your candle is outside the main complex in a lighter security zone. We can pick it up on our way out. Assuming we aren't leaving under hot pursuit, said Grace. All the more reason why we need you with us, said Manchu. But if we don't control my candle, I can drop it any time. I'll be more of a liability than an asset, Grace pointed out. Since the candle is still lit, there are two possibilities for what's going on. One is that Balloon and Stretch don't know about the candle or haven't realized it's important. In which case, it won't be guarded, and I can easily get it, then cover you from the outside. The other is that our enemies know exactly what the candle is and why I have to come back for it, so they're using it to bait a trap. Which is why you shouldn't go alone, said Asante. Grace shook her head. That's exactly why I should go by myself. If our enemies wanted to kill me, they would have destroyed the candle by now. Anything non-lethal they want to throw at me, I can cope with, but not if I have to worry about protecting the rest of you at the same time. Even if they do take me down, I'll be safely comatose until you can destroy the hand, prove your innocence, and rescue me. Manchu didn't look happy. I don't want you becoming a hostage. Grace leaned in and kissed him lightly on the cheek. I've always been a hostage. Look on the bright side. If things go horribly wrong on the main raid, I'll still be free and we'll avenge you all with bloody death that will turn even Balloon and Stretch's stomachs for violence. That's not exactly a comfort, he told her. Don't lose hope, Grace said. And she slipped away down a narrow side street. In seconds, she was gone. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, 
Amal El-Motar, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith. And additional editing by Corey Barton and Brooks Ewald. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi. Featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Bookburners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. <laughs>